Welcome to the seventh episode of the Model 284 podcast. My name is Sam Walzak, and I'm joined by Mark Richards, and we're sponsored by Wallace Carlson Printing. Today is Friday, June 15th, and on today's show, we'll be discussing the 2018 NBA draft and getting in-depth on this year's top prospect. If you enjoyed this podcast or previous podcast, we'd appreciate ratings and reviews, and make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. With that, let's get started. for another show this is kind of part two of our nba draft coverage on the podcast at least so the last one was covering more in depth on what our models are doing and then also some draft theory topics so today we're going to be going through the top 10 prospects by espn slash draft express for this year and getting a little bit into some more detail on what the models are predicting for those guys Um, And then once we get done with that, we're going to build our own top 10 Model 284 big board. Um, And that's loosely going to be based on what our models are predicting, but also using some of our own judgments mixed in there. Um, Obviously, if if you didn't listen to the first podcast, it might be beneficial to go back and listen to the last one where we get explain more detail about how our models work and what they're trying to do. Um, but Mark, you want to just give a quick refresher on the three models that we're using for the NBA draft? Yeah, so we have three models. The first one is our PNSP Peak NBA Stat Line Projection Model, and that's more of like an all-encompassing single-value score associated with a prospect. Then we have our NBA Role Probability Model, which places a probability associated with a certain type of role a player could assume in the NBA, as in all-star, starter, bench, or non-NBA player. And then lastly, we have a similarity score tool, and this seeks to kind of match up similar players based on their statistical and physical profiles. And I think with the similarity score tool, it's interesting because it shows a little bit more of playing style comparison rather than you know, playing ability translation. So, so it should be used more more to say, hey, this is kind of the game these guys played rather than saying, oh, I don't have any all-stars in my most similar players. My This guy's not going to be good. Right, and I think, yeah, it's kind of a, that, that is true, so it's, more about that that style comparison and then if you kind of take in account the like how similar they are it, I mean it is a measure of distance between statistical and physical measurements so it definitely can can give you some insights on uh, quality of play as well depending on how high that similarity score is but I think what we're doing now is so we had these three models and we're now building out these prospect profiles and really the point of these is like to unpack and unwind like what cuz everyone wants to know okay why do you have why do you have um, uh, Triple J as your second prospect or Kenrick Williams you see as their 10th and and kind of understand why the models are predicting them and then break it down a little bit further other than just giving a holistic model. And I think it's also to the point of like you know not just like like 
throwing out the outcome and then not providing any context to it. So I think it, it's good to unpack and unwind. And I think in this podcast here, we'll kind of do similar aspects to what we are doing in those articles in order to provide more context on players. Right, because, you know, if, if we're if we're in a team setting or someone who would actually be using these models to pick players, it's not like you would just take the the raw output CSV file and email it to the GM and would give them zero context about why these predictions are what they are and what you how you should be interpreting them. So I think the prospect profiles are meant to help with that dynamic and unpack a little bit of the predictions and come to some sort of conclusion based on what all the numbers are saying. Right, and I think we try to put it in a lighthearted manner for, for our website's sake, but yeah, definitely along those lines where you're not sending Tom Thibodeau that Mikael Bridges has a 61.5% chance <laughs> of becoming a starter and leaving it at that. So I think it's a good exercise and a fun exercise nonetheless. So now that we've given a little bit of background, let's get into the, the top 10 ESPN prospects for this year. Um, so before we start, I'm just going to rifle through what the top 10 is currently. And this is not um, this is their top 10 prospects, not necessarily who they're predicting to be chosen, 1 through 10. But number 1, DeAndre Ayton, 2, Luka Doncic, 3, Muhammad Bamba, 4, Jaron Jackson Jr., 5, Marvin Bagley III, 6, Michael Porter Jr., 7, Wendell Carter Jr., 8, Trey Young, 9, Kevin Knox, and 10, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, so let's go back and start at the top. DeAndre Ayton, it seems like it's basically a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the number one pick in Phoenix now, um, although there have been a number of players that have been projected at that top spot over the last couple months. Um, but Ayton, obviously a freshman from Arizona, got paid the big bucks down there last year. But looking to cash in again, seven foot, seven five wingspan, nineteen point seven years old, and I think what is he two sixty? So he's he's got quite the frame. Um, Mark, what are your what are your overall thoughts on Aiden? Well, I think in general, like you said, his physical profile is just eye popping, right? Like his shoulders are like that Dwight Howard, yeah, like as wide as the Amazon style. So he just, like, physically imposes, and I think you see at the college level, like, he he, he takes advantage of that even more so. Um, but I think in what you'll see with our models is, well, PNSP, he rates at 96, which, again, PNSP rankings are 0 to 100, fairly normally distributed, meaning that a 96 would be an elite-level prospect at their position. So at the center position... He's highly liked. He's also got roughly a 60% all-star probability at to, uh, to be an all-star at the center position. And then... Which is also extremely high. Right. It puts him in kind of... When we, when we look at historical cross-reference data and make predictions, kind of puts him in a unique category. And then lastly, I mean, ultimately just to drive home the point of our models, he is a 90s... 96.1% chance of being some sort of contributor in the NBA based on our models. And what what I think's interesting is obviously he projects really well and and that's really driven by his his great offense, well his physical stature one, you know, obviously he's a young age, high RSCI ranking and 
he also has really strong production on offense and rebounding. But I think what the big thing to consider that our models probably aren't taking as much into account is the defensive end. And you'll see in the article we released today, Aiton's block percentage and steal percentages are relatively low and put him in a camp that's nowhere near the Joel Embiid's, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. And, and so I think if you think about it, it's difficult in today's day to build a team around a center that doesn't play defense or protect the rim especially. Right, and I think if if you just compare some of the like the win shares or the box plus minus metrics, he does not stack up with some of the other bigs. Like, I mean, definitely Dick Jaron Jackson, but also um, Wendell Carter and Muhammad Bamba. So we see that coming out in some of the stats, but as you said, that's not always going to be the the strong point of the PNSP model, and that's probably a lot of NBA drafts models just because defense isn't as easily statistically captured as, as other, as other um, aspects of the game. But for big men, you know, blocks and rebounds are really important and those are captured and he doesn't, doesn't necessarily project great in those either. Right. And I think some of what the issue may be with the models is it, it could be that, it might be rewarding a little bit too much for his physical stature and not enough for like just general basketball awareness, which I think is a hard thing to capture in a statistical model. I mean, obviously we're using the stats that we have and they're, they are the sample that they are, but I think the bigger concern, I mean, is that at the college level you produce such low numbers. I mean, just for reference like that, the block percentage, I think – so Aiden's about 6.1% in block percentage and steal percentage about 1%. For context, Jaleel Okafor was about a 1.5 steal percentage and a 4.5-ish block percentage. And then the flip side, Anthony Davis was like nearly 15% in block percentage and steal percentage was like roughly 2.5%. Joel Embiid was in that same neighborhood as Anthony Davis. So there's just like a, I think a clear line between those two types of prospects. And so while our model numbers are producing high results, I, I remain skeptical of, of his actual value in the NBA. So let's maybe, let's move on to Doncic, but I think we'll get into some other points about big men as we get into the other, the other top guys here, because there's you know, a handful of big guys who are projected to go in the top five. So moving on to Doncic, um, obviously playing for Real Madrid. Um, he ranks extremely well by our models. His PNSP is 99.5, which is obviously extremely high. He has one of the highest all-star probabilities we've recorded at 89%, um, and he only has a, a 1% non-NBA probability, so that's basically a 99% chance that he has some sort of NBA role. Uh, Mark, I know this is this is your guy for the draft. So, what do you what are your overall thoughts on Doncic? I think he's he does so many things well, and he has so he has the physical size. He essentially played the point guard position for Real Madrid, and he can you know shoot the basketball. Has great vision, good basketball IQ, good size. I mean, he doesn't have the look, which I think bugs a lot of people, but. And then you also have heard so much, oh, he's produced so well 
against like older competition and people people like seem to be sick of that narrative the fact of the matter is it's true it is a better league than college basketball and you do see college basketball players with like five years of development after it like you know playing in the league and being like role players so I think he's you know produced extremely well and he's a he's a valuable at a valuable position in today's NBA agreed um number three Muhammad Bamba um big man out of texas got that 710 wingspan which i believe is the longest ever recorded at the nba combine so he'll you know have the biggest wingspan in the nba from day one um somewhat similar to the the Iton mold where he's just a freak of a physical specimen just looks like a man amongst boys out there and um it's it's honestly just weird watching highlights of those two guys because they're so big and it's just it's, it's really unique, uh, which is part of why they're such intriguing prospects, but um, not not in the same way as Aiton. Bomba actually did did have really good rim protection skills in college. Um, pretty pretty mobile for a big man. Um, one point that I wanted to get into with Aiton, but also relates to Bomba, so I would say Aiton, Bomba, Marvin Bagley, oh, kind of Marvin Bagley, but Wendell Carter too, they're all you know, theoretically going to be able to shoot threes and shot a decent percentage on really low volume in college. So, you know, how much how much are we projecting them to be able to carry that over to the NBA? Um, whereas, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., he had 96 three-point attempts, which isn't a ton, but it's, it's a, a, a higher rate than those guys were shooting it. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, when we – like think about it with the NBA playoffs, right? Like, so Clint Capella. Like, do you want your? Do you care your true five center to like be a super good shooter? I mean, obviously it's it's an advantage, but like, it might be more important that they have the like rim protection skills and perimeter defense than it is even to shoot threes. And maybe sometimes people are getting a little bit too sucked up in this three point movement when. If we use kind of our recent, not to put too much on recency bias, but um, just kind of the center position, Aaron Baines and Clint Cabello come to mind of two players that were effective in the playoffs and playing that type of role, and they they really weren't big-time shooting, three-point shooting at any rate. But, yeah, Bamba is definitely an interesting character and and player, and he's, he's very interesting to watch. And I think our models generally rate him pretty high, Relative, though, I think is you see a more of like a boom bust out of the models. Yeah, so Bamba has 84 PNSP. He has a 50% all-star probability, which is very high. 35% starter, 5% bench, and 10% non-NBA. So that's basically 60% of either all-star or bust you know, not in, not making it in the NBA. So we do see some of that, that boom-bust potential coming out in the numbers. And I think that makes sense because he's he's a guy who um, clearly still has a lot of, of polishing and work to do on his game. Um, he's not – I think he averaged 0.7 assists per 40 minutes. So he's not not much of a Andrew passer. Wiggins style. Yeah, he's not much of a passer, decision-maker – but still has, has thrived just using his raw tools that he has and that, that 7-10 wingspan. So I think you know he should be able to step in and block shots and finish inside right away, but 
there's plenty of areas of his game that he still needs to polish up. So I think that that higher non-NBA probability does make sense. Um, going back to the three-point shooting, so among those five bigs, um, our model has has Jaron Jackson projecting far and away the best in terms of three-point shooting volume among those guys. Um, and then Jaron Jackson and Wendell Carter both being you know very good accuracy wise for three pointers um but you know going back to your point i i do think it's it's more of a a versatility thing and being able to play on the perimeter um and and just have the threat of being able to be a serviceable three-point shooter where they can draw defenses out not necessarily that they have to be a 40 percent guy but i do think there is there is value in being able to force the defenses to play, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. out there so that you can open up space for a Harden or whoever to bring it inside without having any presence down there. Yeah, I think I I agree, and it gives you – I think the one thing that's interesting with Jackson is that he's so versatile that you, you get to the point where you probably don't just have to play him at the five, whereas some of the other big guys like Bamba, Aiden um, – Bagley even it's like in today's game you almost have to play them at the five otherwise they'll get exploited or your offense will kind of get clogged up right and it's again going back to recency bias but with Houston Golden State and Boston you know it's not like they're playing two traditional bigs so if you're taking one of these guys with a top five pick in the draft, you know you would assume that most teams this is going to be the big that you build your core around in in the next couple of years. And do you want to use that pick on a guy who, you know, has a ton of question marks or in Iton's case can't protect the rim or, you know, so the, just some things to think about for these guys. Um, Moving on, Jaron Jackson Jr. is the number four prospect per ESPN. Um, we've already touched a little bit about him, but just to rehash the numbers, he's has a 97 PNSP, which is second in the class, 30% all-star, 49% starter, 15% bench, and 6% non-NBA. Um, so some strong numbers there. Not as high of an all-star probability as, as Bamba or Aiton, Um how much do you think the the freakish size from those two plays into that? Where I mean, Jackson still has a seven four wingspan. I mean, he's it's not like he's small. Yeah, I think the thing about Jackson too is like I mean, we do like scale up to per forty, but like I don't know his per game stats. Like he only played twenty two minutes a night. Yeah. And, like, I mean, he only averaged 11 points per game, six rebounds, 1.1 assists, and, I mean, three boxes. Very impressive in that in that amount of minutes. But, I mean, he didn't really have the raw volume statistical production that Aiden had. Aiden had especially. I would say Bamba's, you know, freakish size is part of what plays into his all-star potential, like you mentioned. But I would say that Jackson's just limited volume historically has not – has not as often produced, you know, all-star type talents. Right. And so I think that's probably the biggest the biggest driver if mm-hmm. if you really break things down. Yeah. So and another thing is are any of these big guys really going to be like an offensive centerpiece? 
Like, if you have the skills to, you know, do a lot of things and be a good team player and pass the ball and all those things, that's great. But, like, even even if Jaron Jackson is does all those things like is he is he like a primary initiator on offense right and that's a, I think that's a great point so even like I'm trying to think about like trying to go beyond the last like year or two like think about the Spurs and they were good and they had Tim Duncan well on offense I remember the Mono Ginobili and Tony Parker yeah. like those guys making like incredible plays mm-hmm. and shots Danny Green like or, or like Garnett with the Timberwolves right we're those guys anchored the defense yeah. and then were, like, good offensive players. Right. So I still – I think that right now in today's NBA, even more so, but even going back, the defensive side at the center position is a way – is just the maybe the most important part. I don't – it's tough to weight it, but it's extremely important. Yeah. And Jackson projects extremely well on defense. Right, yeah. and that, that's what's so much to like. And he, he the, also the has that versatility. Highest, yeah, second highest block percentage in, in the NCAA, I think. Right, I think he was like around 15. like 14.3%, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, I, this is a little bit of bad radio, but I've got a plot here that kind of shows steal percentage and block percentage, and it puts Jackson in kind of that Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, like, range, whereas, you know, Aiton is is on kind of the opposite end of the spectrum on that, so. Gotcha. Well, it's, it's also interesting because, you know, like we were just talking about, the, the offensive, like, franchise-changing upside isn't always associated with the big men, but that's who's probably going to be four of the top five or five of the top seven picks in this draft, so... It's just interesting that there's not not as many strong guard or wing prospects. That would be, I mean, maybe maybe some guys will sneak in there, but it doesn't seem like, you know, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Colin Sexton are probably the the top guard wing type guys. I guess Michael Porter too, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what teams do. Um, so Jackson was four, Marvin Bagley the third is fifth. Obviously, a lot of the stuff that we've hammered with the bigs applies to him as well. But another guy who projects well by PNSP, which, side note, it, it, it's kind of cool to see the model agreeing with all these big men kind of at the top of the boards. We had Jaron Jackson, 97, 8, 96, Wendell Carter, 90, Bamba, 90, or 84, and Bagley, 83, which, which are all, you know, top 10 for this year. So it's, it's good to see the model, you know, in agreement with public or scouting consensus that these guys are our top prospects here, but um, Bagley, 83 PNSP, 39% all-star, 48% starter, 9% bench, 5% non-NBA, so, you know, good marks here, too. He was another guy who, you know, didn't necessarily shine on the defensive end of the floor at Duke, but super quick, super athletic, definitely has all all the, the raw tools to theoretically be a good rim protector and defender, but you also don't see as much of the kind of basketball IQ team defense awareness from him either. Yeah, and then, I mean, he was a guy that, again, has just had great, like, rebounding and scoring production, but, like, physically is just overmatched for a lot of players with his, like, you know, quick twitch and high explosiveness. But, you know, the low free throw shooting percentage 
does not project well. Low volume of threes kind of cancels out the fact that he almost shot 40%. And then, like, as you mentioned, the defense awareness. Well, one, just like watching it, it looked poor. And two, if you look at his steals and blocks numbers, they're not they're not in the Jackson range by far. So that's kind of the 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 stats behind it and again we're kind of tooting a similar horn again but overall it's like he players that have produced basically scored and rebound with his physical you know stature has have historically been good NBA players and that's why the model likes him right so. yeah for for what it's worth Bagley has the worst block projection among like these top 5 big men so Anyways, moving on, uh, Michael Porter Jr., number six. Um, you know, he's rumored to slip, potentially slip a little bit in the draft. Obviously, he had the back injury last year, played only 51 minutes at Missouri this year. So he didn't, you know, we don't have enough to project him in any of our models. So um, I guess just caveat here that, you know, he's not really on our on our board, but definitely an intriguing prospect at a position, you know, his his player archetype is really intriguing, especially in a year where there aren't that many of those wing wing players who um, would be those, you know, LeBron James type franchise cornerstone players, and he definitely fit that mold. I wish I wish, you know, if he had a good year, had decent production at Missouri, and you know, didn't have any issues off the court or anything this year, it. You know, you don't wonder how high he would be creeping up on this, but obviously, lack of information and the medicals is going to scare some people. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. We don't really have a statistical profile to break down for today, but I echo all the points Sam just mentioned. Yeah. So then, moving on, number seven, Wendell Carter Jr. Um, another another big man projects well in the model out of Duke. Played with Marvin Bagley the third, but Wendell Carter Jr. ninety PNSP, thirty eight All Star, forty nine starter. 5% bench and 3% non-NBA. So really similar role probability projections to Bagley, which is interesting because they played on the same team. Obviously, they had a lot of the same team statistics, um, but different players. He does have you know, the lowest non-NBA probability among, among these big men at just 3%. So model, extremely confident in him you know, being a starter or better in the NBA, which is good to see. He also projects, as we mentioned, decently well as a three-point shooter also in terms of scoring assists um what do you what do you like about Wendell Carter I think when you look at kind of break down his numbers and look at historically granted some of its era you, you haven't really seen centers that have had that have contributed positively in every kind of main box score statistical category the the kind of old school ones of rebounds, blocks, steals, assists, and then kind of shooting metrics. So, I mean, he's a positive three shooter kind of all across court, even at the rim and from three. He can rebound the basketball. He shows good playmaking ability. While not, he's not going to be a point center like Marcus Gasol. And then also shows, shows some rim protection. And so I think that's that all of those kind of speak to a high IQ as well. And I think getting smart basketball players is a good way to build your team. So I think in general, like that's, that's just like good to see. It's tough to find like a big flaw statistically um, 
with Wendell Carter. Yeah, I think the one thing, I mean, he's he's 260, so he's, you know, not quite as as mobile or have that as much defensive versatility as some of the other top guys. Um so you know, obviously there's a lot of pluses and minuses with all these guys, but being able to step out and defend on the perimeter, I think other players, other big men definitely project better than Carter there. I I do agree with that. One thing that may be a positive that was that he came in really good shape and in the combine and was like a fairly low body fat percentage, which I think, and it's tough to know, like I don't know what his body fat percentage was before, so maybe that's just like what his always body type is. But it sounds like he was in good shape, and if you believe in his, you know, perimeter defense, which Coles Wicker I think has talked about and Sam Bassini recently, then like he he seems like a really good player. But I can I can see how you might how you can get hung up on that that perimeter defense and mobility. Sure. So all right, I think that wraps it up for the the big men for the top ten. But number eight, we've got Trey Young. Um, point guard out of Oklahoma. I'm sure you've heard of him, but uh, he also rates really well by our models. Um, let me pull it up here. Young has a 90 PNSP, 43% all-star probability, 38% starter, 6% bench, and 13% non-NBA. So a little bit more of that boom-bust profile that we saw with Bombo where he has 43 all-star and 13 non-NBA. You know, 13 is still a, a relatively low number for, for all prospects, but a little bit higher than some of the other guys at the top. And I think that makes sense because there's some concerns with Trey Young about his size and how his defense is going to translate to the NBA. Um, but obviously, from an offensive standpoint, he had extremely good production this year. Um, really, really... Uh, you know, some of the best we've ever seen in terms of offensive offensive numbers. And he had 36% on three-point shooting, including 36% on NBA threes. And he can just, you know, pull up, stop on a dime, shoot a three off the dribble from 30 feet and drain it. And a yeah. lot of the, the kind of Steph, Steph Curry qualities that people get enamored with. Um, but, you know, a lot to like about Trey Young, definitely. It's a it's the volume stats that we just have never seen. Like he just, his usage was just incredibly yeah. high, and that came with more turnovers too, right? Yeah. Like five point two turnovers per game. Yeah, is just out of this world. I mean, he he still averaged eight point seven assists and nearly thirty points. What's what's really nice is you get the three point volume with him then when you shoot yeah. that much, so it stabilizes. It starts to stabilize that percentage, which is like good because you have all these bigs that take fifty threes, and it's like yeah, what can I even take the percentage? Right. Yeah, I think he had the fourth most three point attempts in the NCAA last year, so yeah. that's good. Yeah. And another thing with um, like he was kind of the only guy on that Oklahoma team, and literally carrying. <laughs> carrying most of the load himself. So I think Coles Wicker has made this point that his shooting numbers would probably be better if he didn't like have to create a bunch of attempts himself at the end of a shot clock or just jack up a three. But, you know, even in spite of that, he still had very good shooting numbers on an extremely high volume. So that should give you confidence about his translation to the NBA, at least from an offensive standpoint. I think Finishing at the rim, you know, he's 6'2", 6'4", wingspan, 178 pounds, so not a big guy. Um, the models project him to be able to, 
continued to get to the free throw line a lot, but continued to struggle, you know, finishing on the inside, which isn't a surprise, but, you know, the degree to which he can tune those skills and be able to finish more efficiently, I think he could be, you know, a really special offensive player. Yeah, he, yeah, the free, getting to the free throw line, I think, is huge for Trey Young. And so I, I think, you know, obviously the defense is a little bit of question. I would say, well, one interesting point, just like statistically looking at projections, blocks for point guards is kind of an interesting trend to look at. So I th- I think it's kind of been like statistical and like kind of predicting overall performance and maybe more of defensive performance. And I think it speaks to athleticism is my theory behind it while I haven't dug a ton into it. And so athleticism and size kind of grouped together. And so I think like uh, he, his low block numbers is obviously concern. And the fact that if you just watched him, he didn't play any defense. I think you can get the argument that like he just saved it all for offense and his IIQ, he still had steel numbers in his high IQ, you know, into the NBA, he should be able to, like, maybe be a pickpocketer, which, like, can maybe help and not be, like, a completely complete like, negative on the defense, worst yeah. negative ever. But, yeah. but like, even even if he's good at – I mean, I don't think he's going to be, like, an elite NBA steel guy. You never know. But it, it seems kind of inevitable that he's just – he's only going to be able to defend – point guards and if he gets switched on to anyone that's you know taller than six four six five like it's just going to be a problem and we saw that so much in the playoffs this year with you know you have to have versatile defenders out there otherwise the other team is just going to key on them yeah I mean I, I I don't disagree at all I do think that it's less so I think point guards not as bad as center big man that's but true i still i i don't disagree with anything you just said so yeah. that's that's a consideration for him but i think uh, just the the uniqueness of him is so intriguing if you're looking at the probability of outcomes like and looking at the sim- our similarity scores it's like he only has like seven guys with a higher than 50 yeah. similarity score which yeah. just i, we just I don't haven't re- seen anything yeah like we haven't seen before. anything like that and it's it, it's kind of you're almost if you're looking for a superstar type talent, he might he might have that, and and that's part of that that unicorn esque stuff that we've seen a lot in our draft models is not having similar style of players. Definitely. So moving on, uh, number nine, Kevin Knox, and number ten, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Maybe we just tackle these together since they both played at Kentucky. Um, so Shea Gilgis, we have a prospect profile up on him. His PNSP is 81, 36% all-star probability, 31 starter, 10% bench, and 23% non-NBA. So, you know, a higher non-NBA probability than a lot of these top guys that we've we've done, covered so far. But still some good numbers. You know, 81 PNSP is very good. Um, he's kind of a, a combo guard. Another kind of low-volume, good-efficiency three-point shooter in college. Um, but he's, you know, 6'6 with a 7-foot wingspan. Seems like a high IQ guy, um, should be able to defend multiple positions in the NBA, um, was a really good finisher in college, and hopefully that should translate to the NBA as well. I think the shooting is still a little bit of a question mark, but definitely a lot to like there as kind of a combo guard. I know you know, I've heard some different opinions about whether he's 
you know, a true point guard or whether he's someone who you, you know, stick next to your primary ball handler as kind of a secondary guy. Um, but, you know, Mark, what are your thoughts on Shea? Well, I think the, you know, kind of your prospect profile kind of did a good job of it and, you know, outlining that. Like, he kind of has like a 3 and D profile that has some versatility. While he certainly can't, doesn't have the kind of beef to to hang with some of the bigger wings in the NBA, he he definitely has versatility and intrigue and just seems to have high IQ based on his statistical might. Like, you know, he shot he scored efficiently he defended and produced steals he made plays and he made plays in transition he just seems like an overall smart basketball player which I like and then he also has versatility and length and I think one thing I think about when I think about versatility is how many so if I draft a player can I draft the exact same player again and play them both and so for instance like if I draft Colin Sexton I don't think I can draft another Colin Sexton if I draft Alexander I think I could draft two of him which which speaks I think just, a little just, bit of versatility that it oh, gives you continued flexibility in your in your roster build right and he, and if you can play him with more different types of players like that is valuable to me and let alone the fact that I am a big believer in just you know surrounding your team with smart Playmate like smart decision making basketball players, his range of outcomes might not, and our models like him because of that. But his range of outcomes may or may not be as high. But I think when you factor in the kind of versatility aspect and you look at building your roster out, I think he kind of bumps up people's boards. Agreed. He's definitely an intriguing guy when you're thinking about modern modern basketball and versatility and all the things you just mentioned. So I, I like I like him, although, you know, by our numbers and by public consensus it's definitely kind of a cut a cut below some of the other other top guys. Um Kevin Knox, on the other hand, does not project as well by PNSP, um, only a, a 47 PNSP, which is about average. Um, and then his all-star probability, just 7%, but he does have a high starter probability at 45%. So, you know, if you were to rank by all-star plus starter percentage rather than PNSP, he's going to be like a, you know, a top 20, top 25 guy, um, whereas he's kind of, you know, in the 40s by PNSP. So, you know, Different different viewpoints from from two different models there, but at any rate, forty five percent starter probability, thirty two percent bench probability, and fifteen percent non NBA probability. So actually, also has a higher non NBA probability than, or a better non NBA probability than Shea did, despite the the poor PNSP. But Knox, um, kind of was he six nine, kind of three four NBA type guy. Yeah. Um, he his I think what's interesting from our models is his similarity scores. Like, got him up right here. Like Thaddeus Young, but then like Deshaun Thomas, Shabazz Muhammad, James Young style players, which none and, of, and they're all really high numbers too. Like yeah. all these guys are above ninety eight similarity. Right, score. which which says to me that I think we've we've seen this style of player pretty often. It's almost a little bit of a confidence rating and like. Like, like the variance of the type of player and associated with our like PNSP and stuff, right? right. So, I, I like, and that ties in with only a seven percent all star probability too. Like we kind of, yeah, 
I don't think Knox, and I think this supports it. Knox, I don't think has zero value, but there, there's I don't see a range of outcomes where he's like super valuable, and really it's tough to see anything more than much of a bench style, if that. Yeah, is. I think one thing to consider is just you know Kentucky always loaded with talent, and they didn't have a, a particularly efficient offensive team this year with good floor spacing and didn't shoot a lot of threes, so. You know we've we've seen it before with Kentucky guys where they kind of get to the NBA and can unlock a new level, but we'll see whether that's the case with Knox or not. But yeah, it was a poorly constructed team nonetheless. Yeah. So, so that that wraps up the ESPN top ten. So let's get into our you know if we're gonna build our model two eighty four big board, which as I said, kind of loosely based on our roll probabilities, similarity scores, and PNSP. Um, so first, I think we've got we've got Luca number one. You know, the latest mock draft from ESPN from Gavoni had him going number four, which um, to Memphis. And I know there was there was an article that came out maybe a month ago talking about why he might slide. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll certainly be interesting how many of the big guys go go above him. Yeah, um, you know, rated highly by our models and yeah. So we've got Luca number one. We're gonna go Jaron Jackson Jr. number two. I think he he definitely has the most comfortable projection to the modern NBA among those five bigs, and also you know he's the best by PNSP and has comfortable role probabilities and um, similarity scores that you know he doesn't have very many high ones. So I think similar to what we were just discussing with um, um, who was that Trey Young is just. I don't know. I think it, it makes sense that we haven't seen a ton of people like him just because of how versatile he is. And he's also the youngest, you know, one of the youngest players in the draft. So you like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I well, I I wouldn't say it's like a clear line of two. Um, I think that one, two is, is starting to be a theme on NBA draft Twitter, and our models are certainly certainly in line with so statistically it, it looks that way yeah and there is woge bomb this week i think about teams trying to trade up into the top four to take him so you know you never know how much of that is steam versus um, reality but at any rate um we had we had trey young number three um i think it's it's just it's kind of a unique situation where you have all these big guys who might be really good prospects but not necessarily the the franchise changing offensive potential with any of them whereas Trey Young is the complete opposite of that where he has definitely has a franchise changing offensive potential but potential def- de- potential defensive liabilities and you know lack of size but I think I think probably risk reward I think we're comfortable putting him at number 3 yeah, I think as you said, so by the model standards, he kind of fits with the the remaining bigs, but then when you factor in positional value, right, whole, wholesomely, it's kind of. I think I would in more cases than not, and again, this does go team by team, but in more cases than not, I'm gonna take my shot at the top of the draft to build around a Trey Young that yes. I am going to one of the other bigs. Yeah. Um. So then. I think our next four spots, I'll just rattle them off. Um, they're the next four bigs. So we got, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., four, DeAndre Iden, five, Mohamed Bamba, six, Marvin Bagley, seven. Um, so I think 
at any number of those spots you could you could debate you know the exact ordering of them and again maybe this is something where you you look at your team makeup when you're drafting um but i think carter and Eiton are probably probably the next two at least um by our models and kind of piecing everything together um at, at at the end of the day though it's <laughs> if you're an nba gm it's kind of hard to go up there and pull the trigger on a guy like like Wendell Carter or Marvin Bagley over these, you know, absolute once on a generation specimens and Eiton and Bamba. So, you know, yeah, yeah, and Bamba's a, like Bamba, they're also like a little different in that Bamba was like you said a good rim protector. I think with Aiton it's just that rim protection is just it's so hard to to build around that Bamba and then Bamba's just kind of like a creature that <laughs> yeah. It, interesting, but yeah, you're right. It, it would be tough to go up there and pick Wendell Carter over DeAndre, given all of the media that we see from our perspective and yeah. his physical stature. But you know, building your team around smart basketball players that positionally fit how you want to build your team is important, and I think it's difficult to build a franchise around DeAndre as we've as we've discussed, and so without yeah. that defensive upside that the statistics are showing right um i think i think at least between the models and mark and i's discussion i think marvin bagley's probably at the bottom of the of this of these guys um just at the rim protection and the the you know the basketball iq defensive instincts are yeah and i think the basketball iq goes into playmaking i mean he kind of made plays but i think that like ayton and carter definitely demonstrated at least statistically a little bit better yeah but kind of turning that on its head we've seen him creep up into the top you know two three in some mock drafts too so you know teams are liking him right and there's information we don't have so i mean there's most of our our insights are going to be based on statistical profiles i mean we don't get to work these guys out or look at medicals and whatnot so yeah um so number eight we've actually got Mikhail Bridges from Villanova we did a prospect profile on him but we obviously didn't discuss him in the last section but he's kind of a, a small forward from Villanova um like seven one seven two wingspan really long guy great team defender um fits that that modern NBA versatile um mold where he can you know definitely guard you know three positions maybe four if he can hold his own against some of the big guys in the NBA but he's also you know a extremely good shooter he shot 43 and a half percent on threes on a high volume and he shot I think 85 percent on free throws um granted that was part of uh you know one of the best offenses we have ever seen in Villanova so that's gonna get you some more efficient looks but nonetheless he, he should you know come in and be a, a really good shooter and fits that three and D mold as well. Well even his whole career he shot well, right? Yeah, yeah, I know that Nova's been good the whole time. But their offense wasn't what it was last year before. In his sophomore year he shot, you know, forty percent from three still and ninety one percent from the free throw line. So I I think, you know, he fills all the this categories and it goes to like how many Mikel Bridges can I draft? Well I could probably draft three of them yeah. in in my NBA lineup. And People say, you know, discount. I mean, age is why our models and RSCI rankings are part of why our models, like, discredit him. 
But other than that, it's really hard to find a hole statistically with what he's produced. Yeah. Um, just to, to highlight his numbers here, so he ranks eighth by PNSP at 76. He has a lower all-star probably at 12, but I think he has the second highest starter probability in the draft at 62%, and then just a 7% non-NBA projection, So you know, which also makes intuitive sense. You know, he should be able to to step right in there and be a, a good team contributor. Um, I don't, you know, he doesn't have the, the all-star upside that we had in some of the guys we discussed earlier. But again, this is, you know, towards the back half of the lottery and now we're down to number eight on our board. And, you know, you're, you're weighing that more of a sure thing mold for bridges against, you know, is there any guys behind him who, you might not feel as good about, but have a higher all-star probability. And I think, you know, by our numbers and kind of in our discussions, we think this is the right spot to slate him. Yeah, definitely. And I, I've heard people say, like, so with his age and, like, RSCI ranking, I've heard people kind of be like, well, we've seen, like, Doug McDermott, Frank Kaminsky-style players not pan out. But all those guys had, like, extreme statistical flaws. Like, Doug McDermott steals, like, were out of this world low and he had like zero blocks in college like Mikhail Bridges like he has and didn't have he had T-Rex arms both of those guys right so like physically he's built like he seems to be a smart player he can clearly play and help move an efficient offense but to your point we don't our models aren't saying a huge eye outcome of like all-star potential but I think building your team smart and allowing, like, at this point, we don't see anyone that's going to be, like, has, like, actually a good chance of making, like, being a superstar. Yeah. And so I think, you know, making smart decisions like this can set you up for the next draft where you can, you know, take your superstar or go after someone. Yeah. I think I think, I think think that Cavs should take him at eight and then just have him be the coach, too. Just <laughs> get rid of Tyler. I mean, honestly. I bet they'd be better. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so number nine, we're going with the other the other Bridges brother, Miles Bridges, out of Michigan State. Um, he also doesn't doesn't rank as highly by PNSP. I think he's around twenty at sixty nine. But if you rank by starter plus All Star probability, he ranks ninth. Um, so another one where the models slightly disconnect there. But you know, sixty nine PNSP is still good. Um, but yeah, seventeen percent All Star, fifty five percent starter. And eleven percent non NBA probability, so so decent projections for Bridges there. But he again fits kind of like a higher upside type guy at a valuable position. You know, good size, um, pot- a lot of offensive potential with him too. Yeah, I and I think just like statistically, some of the reasons why. Well, one of the big reasons why Lamar like discredits him at the wing position is steal numbers were lower and his block well his blocks in his last year were lower too like he he only had 0.6 steals per game and and he also his free throw percentage his first year was only 68 percent whereas it was 85 percent last year so there's some things that are like knocking him down a little bit that I think some people might not agree that this or as capturing of what he will produce, but that's just some some reasoning behind why the models do are discrediting him. Sure. Um, so then rounding out the top ten, we've got Shea Gilgis-Alexander out of Kentucky, 10th, who we already talked about, but 
Um, I think this is a, a decent spot for him. He's mocked, you know, slightly lower than this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes really, you know, anywhere in this range. So another another intriguing guy there. Um, so then just to recap, our top ten is Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson 2, Trey Young 3, Wendell Carter 4, uh, DeAndre Ayton 5, Muhammad Bamba 6, Marvin Bagley 7, My- Mikhail Bridges 8, Miles Bridges 9, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander 10. And when we were putting this together, um, well, first of all, Michael Porter's not included because we don't have any models for him. But second of all, we were both kind of surprised at how comfortably this kind of cutoff was with this top 10. And there there weren't really any guys who we felt felt really deserved to be in there. So I think this is a, a good you know top crop for this draft. Yeah, I think after this point, from at least even, okay, specifically from a model's perspective, it gets very, like, hairy and yeah. kind of like, well, there's, like, these huge flaws here and this, and there's no really, like, general consensus. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it's kind of shaking out somewhat nicely yeah. in that respect. Um, In terms of just PNSP, the guys who are – you know, right on the border of the top 10 who we did not include are Kenrich Williams and Colin Sexton. I think Sexton we've we've chatted about already, but, you know, he's somewhat of a concerning mold for a franchise cornerstone guard, kind of like we saw with De'Aaron Fox last year. Um, so I don't think we feel too bad leaving him out. Yeah, definitely. He's... Uh... He's just he's interesting in respect, and he I think he actually measured in shorter than Trey Young too. So, Colin Sexton's a little bit tough. I mean, you gotta love just like watching him as a fan with his personality, but yeah, there's a lot of statistical areas where he just like doesn't project well. Yeah, he seems like a guy that Thibodeau would trade up for. Oh yeah, he would love <laughs> Thibodeau would love that gunner type point yeah. guard that would just hawk and uh, just relentlessly tack the rim. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I think that does it today. You got anything else, Mark? No, I think I think that's uh, you know it's NBA draft season and it's fun to, especially from a fan perspective, to kind of get into the weeds on these a little bit and crank through some models and build some predictions. So, for sure. So thanks, thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoyed it, please go and rate and review on iTunes or share with others who haven't listened to us. And for more information on our draft models, check out model two eighty four dot com where we have. The PNSP rankings, NBA role probabilities, and similarity scores that we've been discussing throughout this podcast, all of which provide a detailed look at the 2018 class. And also check out our prospect profiles where we're you know, bringing all those models together and giving a, a more detailed overview of specific players in this draft. I think we have a number of them out already. We have Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, Wendell Carter, Colin Sexton, Mikal Bridges, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, We'll be um, posting DeAndre Ayton, um, Muhammad Bamba, and Miles Bridges this week as well, and hopefully some more to come before the draft comes. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening.